Thank you. Good morning, City Light. How we doing? Doing good? All right. It's good to be here this morning. Uh, as uh, Tyler mentioned, my name is Chuck, and I do get to be one of the lead pastors at City Light West Council Bluffs. It is awesome to have my sweet wife here this morning. Could never have done anything. Like, I probably can, I couldn't get out of bed, you know, without my wife, you know. So I'm thankful that she's, uh, that she's with me, and she's been putting up with me for uh, 29 years now. I know... Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, we, we love each other. Um, anyways, uh, uh, we're, like, we're the church, City Light West Council Bluffs, we're the church that you guys planted in the middle of a pandemic. Is that, is that crazy? Like, I know a lot of times there's a big celebration that usually happens when, I, when you send out a church. There's a big celebration. You get your core team on the stage here and we pray over and we just celebrate that and we didn't get that it felt honestly a little bit more like uh moving out of mom and dad's house at midnight you know that's the effect that the pandemic had on us um but i do want to say thank you so much for sending us out you guys uh gave us a lot of money a lot of people um i mean it, we're just so grateful that we are in this together, that we're planting a church together in our city, we're serving our city together, we're making disciples, and Jesus is doing some stuff in Council Bluffs. I don't think we should refer to Council Bluffs anymore as the place where church plants go to die. Let's, let's start referring to it as the place where church plants go to thrive, all right? That's, uh, that's what Council Bluffs is, and I'm so grateful that you guys are part of a culture and value uh, church planting and multiplying disciples, and I'm a... I'm a benefactor of that. So I just want to say thank you so much. Um, the way we plant uh, churches in the City Life family is we plant in pairs. And so uh, I do have a co-lead that is with me. I don't know if we, uh, like how we stumbled on this, this uh, idea of planting in pairs, but it works phenomenal. And I'm just so grateful that Kenan, who is my co-lead, uh, there's a picture coming up. That's my co-lead, Kenan. Yeah, he's that's a great picture of him. He's a super talented guy, incredible worship leader. He's a great leader, gifted preacher. And you see also he's got really nice feet. Uh, I'm going to keep my shoes on because my feet are more like hobbit feet than they are his feet. So I'm just going to keep those on this morning. We're thrilled for all that God is doing uh, as we work together to multiply disciples and plant a church on the West End. Um, this morning we're, we're looking into Matthew. And I love the book of Matthew. It can be summed up in three words. Jesus is king. That's the idea of, of Matthew. Matthew captures Jesus' miraculous birth. He captures the story of these uh, kings traveling from a really long distance to give him really expensive, give Jesus really expensive gifts. He records how Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, how he was baptized in the, uh, the Jordan River, and then how he began to preach his first sermon on the side of a mountain. Matthew describes how Jesus exposes religious leaders, how he draws near to those who are far away, how he heals the sick and delivers the people who are oppressed. Matthew, he describes a kingdom where Jesus is king, and it's an incredible culture and incredible environment, and he describes a place that I'm like, I want to sign up for that. Like, if that's who, that's what Jesus, who Jesus is and what Jesus does, sign me up for that because I want some of that. Even the story that, uh, that was read for us today, Jesus, or Matthew is showing us that Jesus is a good king. 
Jesus is a good king. There's a group of people in need. You know, there's all kinds of uh, people in need. People who uh, are, are, are deaf and they can't walk. People who are blind. But once Jesus does His thing, the people who can't walk, they're able to run an eight-minute mile. That's, that's crazy, y'all. I don't know about you guys, but for me, that would be, even be a miracle as a man standing before you to run an eight-minute mile. Maybe they were running, I don't know. Guy, that's supposed to be funny. That didn't land real good. <laughs> I need to work on my delivery. Talk to Eric. He's really better at that. Um, the people who couldn't see, when they opened their eyes, they got to see the face of Jesus. When the people who, uh, who couldn't talk, after after Jesus did his thing, they were able to sing the praises of Jesus. These people saw who Jesus was, and Jesus did some stuff for him. Jesus for them. Jesus was willingly and freely serving those around him in this passage of scripture that Tyler just read for us. But we're we're not surprised, are we? This is what Jesus has been doing all along because Jesus is a good king. But if we back up just a little bit, we see part of a story where Jesus doesn't seem like he's a good king at all. In fact, on a first read, Jesus seems a little bit like a chauvinistic racist. But don't get hung up there because he's not that at all. We know he's not that at all. But just on a first read, you're like, what in the world is going on here? Let's take a look at it and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Matthew 15 verses 21 through 28. It says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to a district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This story, it starts out with Jesus going to this place called Tyre and Sidon. And it's a region that um, the Jewish people of that day didn't live. This was a region that was mostly filled with Gentiles or people who were non-Jewish is where this area of Tyre and Sidon was. Very highly populated Gentile, no Jewish people hardly at all. And he went to this area to kind of get away. He wanted to kind of be unknown. All these Jewish people uh, had been hanging around. He'd been performing all of these miracles. And so he wanted to get away. Disciples wanted to kind of get a little, get away a little bit, but he was found by this woman who somehow had heard stories of this man who was performing all of these different miracles, and she found out that Jesus was in the neighborhood. Like Jesus was in her neighborhood, and she wanted a little bit of what he had been doing. She seeks him out, she falls at his feet, 
And she begs him to deliver her daughter from a demon. And at first glance, Jesus doesn't seem like such a good king. This woman has a real need in her life, right? But Jesus like stiff arms her. He, he ignores her. And then he kind of sidesteps her. And then it kind of feels like he, um, he said something inappropriate to her. We just read how that, we just read the story. So we know that Jesus eventually heals her daughter, right? We know that he delivers her daughter from this demon that was oppressing her. Um, but it kind of feels like Jesus made her work really hard to get to that point. And then in a kind of a weird turn of events, he gives her props and he says something to her that like he hadn't said to even his disciples. He says, oh woman, great is your faith. So my question why did Matthew choose to put this story? As he was writing this biography of Jesus, why did he choose to put this story in this biography? Um, why would he say, oh yeah, that's probably something I should include in this thing? I, I think he did it for this reason. I think Matthew wanted, wanted us to know this story because in this moment, Jesus is teaching what great faith looks like all right jesus is teaching us what great faith in him looks like jesus through this woman is showing us that great faith is desperate and great faith is persistent and it moves toward him that's what we're that's where we're going this morning great faith is desperate and great faith is persistent and it moves toward jesus now we don't know um, how this woman necessarily heard about Jesus, but somehow the stories um, of what Jesus had done had, had made their way to her. And um, he, all, we, all we know is that uh, this woman had confidence that if Jesus could do something there, if all these stories that she had heard were true, then maybe, just maybe, she could benefit from that as well. If he had done all of this stuff that she had heard about, maybe he could do something for her as well. This woman had confidence that Jesus could heal her daughter. She had hope that Jesus would heal her daughter. And if he was the type of person that she had heard about, he does what he says he's going to do, then she had hope that he could heal and take care of her daughter. Look at her words of desperation with me. She was desperate for Jesus to do something for her daughter. She says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. <clears throat> her daughter was in bad shape. She was in, she was being oppressed. She was in trouble. And the only place she knew to go was Jesus. She says, have mercy on me. <clears throat> then she kicked it, up, kicked it up a notch in verse 25. She says, Lord, help me. This woman moved toward Jesus with a desperate plea, and he called her faith great. Jesus loves gutsy faith. He loves um, when people have confidence in him. He loves when people have confidence that he can do anything. This woman was desperate for Jesus to deliver her daughter, and the only place she knew to go 
was to Jesus. She was desperate for him to do something. You guys remember before this whole pandemic started, uh, before COVID-19 and before there was any food on the, uh, on the shelf at Walmart, uh, before any of that stuff happened, there was um, quite a bit of steam building up to plant a church on the west end of Council Bluffs. You guys remember that? There's a lot going on. We would have a second Sunday gathering. We had prayer meetings in the 2019, and we started second Sunday gatherings uh, over at Rue Elementary uh, on the second Sunday of every month, January, February, and March. And uh, there were ton, dozens, hundreds of people, 150 people coming into that space, and they were, there was some steam to plant a church on the west end of Council Bluffs. And then on March 8th, um, we had just had our second Sunday gathering at, at Rue, and um, it felt like the pandemic was this dark cloud that was like looming over us. Things felt like it was getting darker and darker. And uh, we had a prayer gathering that was called by um, our City Light family, and it was over Zoom. And <clears throat> in that prayer gathering, we just wanted to kind of check on one another. How's the pandemic affecting you guys? How's, uh, how's it affecting plans? What are you going to do, to do here? What are you going to do there? And I remember sitting over in this Casey's parking lot, um, and I spoke up and said, guys, I, I don't know about you, but for me, it looks like this thing of planting a church is done. We're at least probably looking at, you know, probably fall before we start thinking about this again. And just kind of a, I don't, like, I think Jesus has called me to plant a church, but what's he, how's he going to do this? I knew he could, but it didn't feel like he was in it. It didn't feel like, like I wasn't, I was desperate. I was desperate in that moment to get an answer, to find out what it was that he wanted us to do. And then a couple of days later, um, we had an elder uh, team uh, meeting over Zoom, and I was just back here in the big room. Um, I can tell you the exact spot it was, I remember. And we were just praying. Like We just committed a, a large section of our time during that meeting just to pray. And I re. I remember a prayer that I prayed in that elder team gathering, and the prayer went like this. Jesus, give us the faith to take steps so that when we look back, we would say, only Jesus could have done it that way. Jesus, give us faith to take steps so that when we look back, we would say only Jesus could have done it that way. In desperation, I went to the only place that I knew to go. Jesus. I knew Jesus could, and I now believed that Jesus would. And so I just began asking him for steps to take. Would you give me an idea what to do next? Not... Two weeks down the road, not a month down the road, not six months down the road. What do I do now? And so, because of everything that was going on, we knew that our schools and our community would be heavily impacted uh, by the pandemic. And so, we got a group of people together and uh, met over here and in, in, down the hallway. And uh, Doug told me about that meeting, and uh, I just on a whim almost, called, uh, called Dr. Vicki Murillo. She's the um, 
uh, superintendent of Council Bluff Schools, and I, I called her and I, I said, hey, you know, we're, we're looking at this, and we would love your perspective because we feel you have a really unique perspective with our community. Would you be interested in being a part of this, this uh, thing, whatever? It's, we don't know what it's going to be. Would you just be interested in taking a part? And she said, well, yeah. And so she showed up. I thought she maybe would just send a representative from her office, but her and about three or four other people from her office showed up, and we began to talk. And then, uh, lo and behold, the next day, we're down in the district offices, and uh, instead of just having 10 or 12 people in a room, there were literally, literally dozens and dozens of people in a room that were talking about how are we going to serve our community in order to... Um, help kids and families who are going to need help during this time. How are we going to do that? And that meeting there led to multiple churches gathering together, um, hundreds and hundreds of people gathering together to serve hundreds of thousands of meals in our community in the West End and in the east side of, of Council Bluffs. And guys, that was amazing. Amen? I look back at that, and that's over a year ago now. I look back and I say, only Jesus could have done it that way. Only Jesus could have worked that out. And then a few weeks later, it was about the end of uh, April, and Governor Reynolds said, hey, um, churches can now begin to meet and gather uh, with social get distancing guidelines and such um, starting in the month of May. And so at that point, um, I'm like, all right, Jesus, I, I feel like you've given me new energy to uh, to." plant this church. You've given us, some, given us some vision of what it's going to look like to plant this church, but we don't have a place. Schools aren't going to let us meet there. We know that's uh, a sure thing. That door is closed. So if we're going to meet Jesus, you're going to have to give us a place to meet. And so I started calling some people around the community just to really kind of check on them to see what they were doing and what they were up to. And uh, I talked to, to Dave over at Walnut Grove Baptist Church. He's the pastor over there. And then Early in the conversation, I remember asking him, what are you guys going to do? And he said, we probably aren't going to meet until maybe July or August. And I said, well, just to get us started, would we be able to meet in your building? And he said, I think we can work that out. So we began to meet in the building of Walnut Grove Baptist Church. And I look back at that, and those things aren't common. You know, churches aren't used to working together on the West in the Council of Bluffs. That's just not something that happens all the time. And I look back at that and I say, only Jesus could have done it that way. And then in December, we were still meeting at Walnut Grove Baptist Church. We had gone to one gathering and uh, Walnut Grove began to, to meet in uh, August like they, like they said they would. And, and by December, like you walk into the nursery and there's more places, there's more babies than there are places to put them. It's a small room, like six by eight room. We're like, oh man, we're in trouble here. You go into the city like kids' rooms and they're on top of one another. And we knew we had to do something. We had to figure something out because we were growing out of this space. We were uh, pushing the boundaries of social distancing in our worship space. Um, it was one of those things that we're just like, okay, we got to do something, but we don't know what to do. It felt like our only option was to buy uh, an old Mormon building that was on, on the west end of Council Bluffs that they wanted $700,000 for. And we didn't have that kind of money. We knew that. Or we were, we were going to have to stay where we were, and that didn't feel right. So we felt like our options were limited. And so we did. The only thing that we knew how to do, we went to Jesus. We began to pray as a church in December, 
And um, not too much longer after that, uh, a, a group of people approached us um, from the Dodge Memorial Christian Church there at 32nd and C. And they said, you know, we'd like to talk to you guys about what it might look like to partner with you all. And that conversation turned more into a conversation of, hey, you know what? We're just going to let this go. So they gave us a building (laughs) at the corner of 32nd and C across the street from Franklin Elementary. We can give Jesus a hand for that, right? Come on. So now there's a new church meeting on the west end of Council Bluffs that you guys sent out with our own building that's debt-free that we're in the process of renovating. Guys, I look at that and I say, only Jesus could have done it that way. Only Jesus could have done it that way. See, like, we, um, when we are powerless to do something, in desperation, we go to Jesus and we ask him to do what only he can do. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been desperate to ask Jesus to do something that you know you're powerless to do? And if he doesn't come through, it ain't going to get done. That's what happened here with this lady. She didn't know what to do. All she knew is that her daughter was sick. Her daughter was a wreck. And she heard about this guy who could perform miracles. And she went to him. Let me ask you, when was the last time you were desperate for something like this lady is desperate for? And please don't hear this in a judgy kind of way. When's the last time you were desperate for Jesus to do something? Maybe it's it's just, I just need to hear from God. When's the last time you said, I I just want to hear from you. I got to know that it's you. That I'm hearing. Maybe you're desperate for your faith, your Christian faith to be lived out in a way that's other than just just on Sunday mornings. Maybe you need a a desperation of a kind of faith that when you walk out that door, you're living differently. And your faith goes outside that door into the workplace, into the home, into the grocery store, into the restaurant. What's that look like for you? How desperate are you? For Jesus to get a hold of the heart of your child. How desperate are you for that? How desperate are we for Jesus to get a hold of our finances and and for us to get a handle on our finances? How desperate are you for your neighbor to know Jesus? Let me ask you, see, how desperate are we for Jesus to show up? Or have we just settled in in a place of comfort and are just kind of going along. If you're desperate, what does it look like for you to take a step of faith? Maybe you're here this morning and and you're like, I'm desperate for Jesus to do something, but I don't know what to do next. What's it look like for you to take a step of faith? Maybe a step of faith could be start reading your Bible or pray or, or fast. Maybe a step of faith is to to join or start a city group. Maybe that's your next step of faith. Maybe a step of faith could be to have a conversation with your child about what Jesus is doing in your life. And you can tell them what he's he's been 
you know, what you've been praying for, what's it look like for you to take a step of faith in seeing your child come to know Jesus and seeing your child get a, get a heart for what Jesus is doing? Maybe a step of faith is recognizing that you are powerless over your addiction, but Jesus isn't. Maybe that is the step of faith that we need to take. You could seek out a financial counselor. That's a step of faith. You could um, begin to live generously. That's a step of faith. How are you moving toward Jesus, City Light? Great faith moves toward Jesus, and it begins with a step. Now, you might be looking at the story and having read it saying, Chuck, it wasn't that easy for this lady. Like, you're making it sound like it's super easy. To be honest, this is the part of, part of the story that kind of threw me for a loop. This is the part of the story that I'm like, man, I got I to gotta work on this. I got to grind on this part because I'm just not picking it up, Jesus. Would you show me what it is you would have me to share? Well, great faith is desperate. Now let's take a look at how great faith is persistent. This woman makes a request in verse 22. She says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is oppressed by a demon. Now, how does Jesus respond to this lady? Nothing. He doesn't say a word. He didn't answer her a word. Then, as you keep reading in verse 23, the disciples came to him in frustration and asked him to, to send her away because she's annoying. That's like Jesus' top dogs, man. That's, that's their best work. Good work there, Peter. Nice job there, James. You guys are shining bright there. That's, that's the best they got. Jesus, send this woman away because she's so crazy and annoying. Just let us rest for a bit. Well, what was Jesus' response to that? He still didn't acknowledge her. And then he said something that confused me at first. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What is that? Well, this was a phrase that was commonly used to refer to the ethnic Jewish people. So was Jesus saying that he was only sent to reach Jewish people? No. That's not what he was saying there. And then perhaps the most disturbing words that comes out of Jesus' mouth as this lady is giving her most desperate plea is in verse 25 when he says, Lord, help me. When she says, Lord, help me. And that's when, that's when uh, Jesus says to this lady, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now stick with me here, guys. We can't miss this because Jesus is showing us that great faith is persistent. Jesus' intention all along was to grant this woman what she requested. He wasn't holding back. He wasn't insulting her needlessly. And she knew it. What I thought was his most inappropriate words was actually his most hospitable words. And what we see as an insult, he, she actually saw as an, as an invitation. Let me show you how this works. In, in the first century uh, Jewish culture, um, there was a sharp division between those who were Jewish and those who weren't Jewish, known as the Gentiles. And uh, so the Jews of Jesus' day would refer to those who weren't Jews with a racial slur, and 
he would, uh, they would call them dogs. Now, that's terrible. Like, you don't ever refer to anybody as a dog in a derogatory term. You know, I might use, what up, dog? You know, that kind of thing. But you don't ever refer to somebody with that kind of a racial slur ever. Not ever, but here it seems like it was a common practice. This is how this lady was being treated by Jewish people. She was being referred to as a dog. And not just any dog, but it was a wild dog. It was like a scavenger type of dog. The types of dogs that are nuisances. Now, we don't have to worry about those type of dogs a whole lot because we have services within the community that help take care of them. But in this culture, it was a big deal. These dogs were nuisances. They would scavenge. They would tear up stuff. Everybody hated these stray dogs. And that's how these Jewish people would refer to this lady. She was used to being called that over and over and over again. But as Jesus is talking with this lady, He doesn't use the term that is the racial slur. That term that she had heard countless times before, she doesn't, He doesn't use that term. He actually uses another term that meant house dog. Like your puppy, right? But it doesn't feel much better, does it, right? Like to us, it's like... Come on, Chuck, really? That, that's supposed to be the lesson for this morning? But he's not name-calling. And she gets that. This reference that was unique to her. She understood what Jesus was saying. She gets the point. Jesus is including her in the household. He's saying you're not one of those scavenger dogs. You're not one of those stray dogs, one of those dogs that are a nuisance. You're actually in the household. And it clicked with her. It resonated with her. And she's like, Jesus is including me in the household. I'm under his table. I'm in his house. Where his house is, there's a table. And where there's tables, there's scraps. She sees that crack in the door and she runs straight through it. She kicks it wide open and she runs after it. She goes and grabs a chair sits up to the table and says, pass me the potatoes. And Jesus loved it. Jesus loved this woman's faith. This lady, all of her life, had been always been told, you're a scavenger. You're a nuisance. You're an eyesore. You're worthless. You are useless. Uh, but Jesus says, now you're under my roof. You're in my household. And then I love what this woman says. She says, yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. This woman had great faith, and it moved her toward Jesus. Her faith was persistent when Jesus was silent. Her faith was persistent when she was annoying other people. Her faith is persistent when it felt like she was being ignored. So her faith in a powerful, merciful Jesus led to her persistence. And Jesus says to her, O oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Jesus saw this woman's faith as great. She was desperate and she was persistent. And Jesus gave her a compliment, gave her an acknowledgement that he had never even given to his disciples. So 
her daughter was healed instantly. In that moment, her daughter was healed. And so I think Matthew included this story so that we could get an idea of what great faith looked like. And rather than say, let me just tell you, Matthew's like, I'm going to show you what great faith looks like. We don't look to the disciples. We don't look to the religious crowd. We look at a Canaanite woman who was desperate for Jesus to do something in her life. And we heard Jesus say, great is your faith. See, I think all of us at some point have been where this lady is. We've all felt needless. We've all felt like we've been a nuisance. We've all been outsiders. We've all felt like we're worthless. But as we desperately move toward Jesus with persistence, we get to see Jesus do something that only he can do. I remember feeling worthless whenever we were in this pandemic a year year or so ago. But in faith, Jesus showed me the steps to take. And I can look back and say, only Jesus could have done it that way. This Canaanite woman was commended for her great faith, but got to keep in mind, it wasn't her great faith that was the answer here, right? It was, who was her faith in? Come on, talk to me, guys. Who was her faith in? Her faith was in a great Jesus. Her faith was in a Jesus that had done some stuff. She had heard what he had done. He was a miracle worker. Her faith was in the Messiah. Her faith was in Jesus. It wasn't the amount of her faith or the strength of her faith. It was in who her faith was in. She placed her faith in Jesus. She was desperate and persistent to believe uh, She was desperate and persistent enough to believe that what Jesus did for others, he could also do that for her. She had great faith in a great Jesus. See, like, my my prayer for this church, I love, love, love this church. My prayer for this church and for City Light West Council Bluffs is that we are people of great faith. That we don't coast that we don't get comfortable. That a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, that we would look back and we'd say, man, only Jesus could have done it that way. Is that the kind of faith we want, City Light? Let's pray for that kind of faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for um, inspiring Matthew to include this story, of all stories, to include this story so that we can see an example of what great faith is like. That 2,000 years later, we could look back and we could see what great faith is, how you commended this woman's faith who was desperate and persistent. Father, we love you. We pray, Lord, that we do get to look back. <laughs> Story's not over. You're just beginning a story. Council Bluffs. It's, it's still ongoing. And God, I pray that year after year, decade after decade, we get to look back and we say, look what Jesus did. Only Jesus 
could have done it that way. That's our prayer, and we ask these things in your name. Amen.